Good morning. Let's open with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. We were able to sing about it. We thank him for what he has done for us. Because without him, we are nothing. And this morning, Lord, we just want to commit ourselves to you once again and pray uh, that you will speak to us through your word. Pray, Lord, that uh, you will use me as your instrument as we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we continue our series in First uh, Thessalonians, and now we are here in chapter 4 already. Uh, and in this section, Paul speaks about the Christian life. Call it concerning the Christian life. So he's now going to give some practical uh, applications, things that are important for us as Christians to think about. Now just to connect this with what we saw uh, earlier in, verse in chapter 3, Chapter 3, verse 11 to 13, Paul prayed for the Thessalonians. And there he said, I'm reading that verse. Now, may God our Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love. So that was one of the things that he prayed for. Love. For one another and for all. Just as we do for you. So that your hearts are strengthened in holiness. To be blameless before our God and Father. At the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So the second thing that he prayed for was that they are strengthened in holiness. So he prayed for love among the believers and he prayed for holiness. Now in this chapter that we are going to uh, study today, chapter 4, the first part, actually he is now speaking to them about these two very topics, love and holiness. He prayed first for Love and then holiness, and in his discussion, he started with holiness and then love. The two goes together. Love and holiness. Loving God and living holy lives goes together. Loving one another and at the same time keeping each other to, uh, you know, accountable to live lives that are honoring to God, that are holy lives. They go together. Now, this is an outline for this uh, passage that we are going to study, where Paul encouraged the Christians to grow. Number one, uh, exhortation to grow in chapter 4, verse 1 to, uh, and 2. And then the second thing is an exhortation to holy living in verse 3 to 8. And then the ex exhortation to love, verse 9 to 10. And then 
an exhortation to live a decent life in verse 11 and 12. So let's take our time and uh, go through these verses, starting with verse 1. Finally then, brothers and sisters, we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you receive instruction from us, sorry, that as you receive instruction from us about how you must live and please God as you are in fact doing, that you do so more and more. Now, first, first of all, Paul recognized that things were going good in this church. He recognized that. He said that, you know, the, the translation put that between brackets as you are in fact living. So you are living a life that's pleased God. It is important to recognize that. And, and it, 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 he said that before in chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, he said, We thank God always for all of you as we mention you constantly in our prayers because we recall in the presence of our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus. He said, among these believers, there was faith, there was love, there was hope. And then in chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, he said, And so we too constantly thank God that when you received God's message that you heard from us, you accepted it, not as human message. They heard God's message and accepted it. But as it truly is God's message, which is at work among you who believe. They heard God's message and accepted that message. Isn't it a blessing? You know, to hear God's word and accept that word and live according to that word. Sometimes we can be hearers of the word and not necessarily doers. But this church... They were not just hearers. They did what they heard as well. Paul said, For you became imitators, brothers and sisters, of God's churches in Christ that are in Judea. Others, you know, they, they, they became imitators of those churches, following the same examples, example of the others, and they became an example to others as well. In other words, things were going good in the church. And yet, Paul thought it was necessary to exhort them. Why is that? You know, there is a, a book, it's a secular book, uh, Good to Great. And the author said that doing, if you are doing good, that is the enemy of becoming great. Because, you know, things are going good, you know, why do we want to change? And that will prevent you from becoming great. But here... The believers are exhorted not just to be happy with being good. He said we have to go to the next level. We have to excel in them more and more. There is always room for growth in our life as believers. So these believers, they needed the reminder. Paul said we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you, rec you receive instruction from us, you know, that they will continue in that. They, he urged them. He asked and then urged them. 
Brothers and sisters, it is good to make it a priority to continue to grow in our relationship with the Lord Jesus. In chapter 3, at the end, he prayed for the believers that they will grow in love and in holiness. And here, he's urging them. It's not just God's responsibility, so to speak. Yes, we can pray for one another. But guess what? We also have a responsibility to apply God's word in our own life so that we will also grow. In chapter 3, it is us pleading to with God, please, Lord, may this happen. And in chapter 4, it is us saying, Lord, we are accepting the responsibility to live lives that will please you. So there was a need to remind them, but also we have to continue to please God. In, in 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, Paul said, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we declare it not to please people, but God who examines our hearts. We want to continue to live not to please people, but to please God first and foremost. You know, everything that is important in our life, everything that we are doing at the end, it's about, is that pleasing to God? Will that bring honor and glory to God? That's what matters the most in life. There is a story about a, a rich person. And that guy, he was like rich. And I mean rich. You know, like right now I'm here. I have a $50 billion right here in my pocket. And it was nothing compared to what that man had. Of course, don't ask me which currency it is. It says $50 billion and dollars is dollars, right? Well, no, in this case, it's uh, from Zimbabwe. And it's maybe a U.S. dollar or less. Uh, but I'm a billionaire. But this guy was rich. And when he died, or before he died, he instructed the people to put him in his casket with his hand outside. You know, not put his hand in his casket. Why did he do that? Well, he wanted to show everybody, I'm not taking anything with me. I'm going empty-handed. At the end, did he please God? I mean, he was rich. Yes, everybody knew that. But at the end, was his life a life that glorified God? If there is something that we can encourage one another to do and be passionate about, then it is to please God. And, and please don't try to please man. You will never be able to do it. You know, uh, do, do you remember the story of David when God put before him judgment, three things he had to choose from. And David said, Lord, I rather fell in your hand and not in the hand of man. Because God is gracious, God is merciful, even though he has to... Uh, uh, as a father, sometimes correct us. We know it's always for our good. So we can trust him and depend on him. Continue to live life that pleases God. And, and, and the third point here, why the exhortation is because there is always room for growth. Paul prayed for them in chapter 3, verse 10. 
And then in chapter 4, verse 10, he said again, And indeed, as you are practicing it toward all the brothers and sisters, that is love, in all of Macedonia, Macedonia, but we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. Yes, you are demonstrating love, but we are encouraging you, urging you to do so more and more. There is always room for growth. So in this first part, he said, Continue to grow in your walk with the Lord. Continue to grow in pleasing God. Continue to grow in, in a life that brings honor to God. And then the second part, he speaks about the exhortation to live a holy life. Now this is important. Uh, holiness is important. God is holy. And he wants his people to be holy as well. And why is that? Well, in chapter 3, verse 1, we see that it is because it is the will of God for us. For this is God's will that you become holy. It is God's will for us. That's the basis for it. God wants us to be holy and we should be holy. He, in this, these verses, he used the word holy about four times. We read it in verse 3, and then in verse 4, he said again, possess his own body in holiness and honor. And then in verse 7, God did not call us to impurity, but to holiness, in holiness. And then verse 8, God who gave us his Holy Spirit. Holiness is something that we do not emphasize in churches today anymore, isn't it? Uh, but that's something that is the will of God for us as his people. And what does it mean to be holy? It's not just to be separated from sin, but it is more so to be dedicated to God. It is being for God's sole use and enjoyment. That means to be holy. We are people who pleases God. And here we are people who are dedicated to God. People who have this one thing in mind. To bring honor and glory to God. Now and there is an application for this in this passage. In verse 3 to 6, uh, Paul gave a, no a number of ways in which we can apply holiness. In this case, it is very, very specific. And the first thing he said is that you keep away from sexual immorality. This is an, <coughs> Sorry. This is an important subject. And you know, while working through this, I said, do I really have to talk about this? But guess what? Scripture talks about it. So what should we do? We should talk about it. it let's take a look at what was going on in those days. I have a, a few quotes for you. Uh, this guy, uh, he said the following. Uh, he said, Mistresses we keep for the sake of pleasure. 
to. Those are the mistresses for pleasure. Concubines for the daily care of our persons. So there were mistresses, there were concubines, and then, but wives to bear us legitimate children and to be faithful guardians of our household. So there were mistresses, there were concubines, and there were wives, all available to us. Another one continued, and he said, in a Greek society, a man who owned female slaves could use his human property, they were his, to satisfy his sexual desires, while prostitutes were at the service of any man. So they had prostitutes, female uh, slaves, mistresses, concubines, and then they have their wives. What a life, isn't it? And some people were enjoying this. I mean, it was like, I mean, what else can you have in this life? And the Thessalonians became Christians in a context like that. And here they are. We had that same problem in, in, uh, in, in uh, Corinth where they faced exactly the same problem. One thought it was normal, even though I'm a Christian, I'm free. I can live with my father's wife. Isn't that Christian freedom? But here we see that God wants us to keep away from sexual immorality. And one way to define sexual immorality would be this. Sexual immorality, the Greek word porneas, is to engage in sexual immorality of any kind outside of marriage. Engage in sexual immorality of any kind outside of marriage. <coughs> that would include fornication, adultery, homosexuality, incest, prostitution, bestiality. Every form of sexuality outside of marriage. God wants us to keep, that we should keep, uh, you know, we should keep away from sexual immorality. So that was the first thing. We'll come back to this and see, is that still relevant in our days? The second thing is that each of you should know how to possess his own body in holiness and honor. Well, th the question here is, there is this word that is translated body, and some people would say it is the wife, and others would say, you know, it's something else. The Greek has the word vessel. So everybody should keep his own vessel in holiness and honor. What does it mean? What is, what is he referring to? Stay away from sexual immora immorality. And you can do that, do that by possessing your own vessel in honor and holiness. What is the vessel? Now, there are three different fields. I already mentioned that. Number one, it is your wife. So you should have your own wife and live in an honorable way with your wife. First Peter 3, 7 say that the wife is a weaker vessel. You know exactly the same Greek word. 
in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we see the word vessel again, and it refers to our body. Our body, you know, is a vessel of clay, earthen vessel. And some people take it to mean the body. Most do, actually. But I must say, though, that uh, I think it refers not just to the body, but a particular part of the body. It is referred to the male private part. And that's what we should keep in honor. We'll see as we continue that he's definitely referring to that. If you should not uh, dishonor your, your brother in this matter, uh, I think it's because you're not using your private part in the way you should. But try to use it on somebody else's wife. And that is not what God wants here. And actually, the, it is a euphemism. And uh, we find an example of that in the Old Testament. Actually, in the Greek text of the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel 21.5, David used that word using exactly the same Greek word. I'm reading 1 Samuel 21.5. David said to the priest, Certainly, women have been kept away from us. Just as on previous occasion when I said, I have set out. The soldier's equipment is holy. Same word, the vessel. Even on an ordinary journey, how much more so will they be holy today along with their equipment? Now, what was he referring to? They had asked to eat the holy bread in the temple. Now, if you had a sexual relation with a wife, you couldn't do that. So David is, is assuring the priest, say, you know what? It's okay. It's all the vessels are holy, using the same euphemism. The vessels are holy. God wants us, in particular here, the men. You know, if we look at what we saw before, men who were keeping mistresses, concubines, wives, female slaves, and prostitutes, the New Testament here tells us, men, your vessels were not given for that purpose. They must be kept holy and in an honorable way. So men, keep your vessel in holiness and honor. And it's good to encourage one another to do that. I remember uh, back home in our assembly, we would talk to one another as men about that. You know, the way we... We, we go about our life uh, and in every aspect of our life, including what we face as men today in temptation, sexual temptation, and talk to one another about it. Why? Because it is a big problem. Often you will find men fell or, you know, um, in, in their faith or in their ministry. And what's the reason? Sexual immorality much more so than any other sin. And it's good to be there for one another and to hold each other accountable for that, to keep the vessels in holiness and honor. A third way to live holy life is to not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. The things that we talked about earlier Having all these mistresses and concubines is what, is what the, the Gentiles are doing. And we don't want to do that. Among us as God's people, that's not the way 
we want to live. We don't want to be like the Gentiles. You know, for unbelievers, when they are together uh, as men talking about things, it's not what you want to talk about as a Christian. Things to be ashamed of is seen as an honor among uh, unbelievers. Actually, uh, there is a saying, uh, I have to say I'm not sure in which language it is anymore. But it goes like this, that if a man lives a uh, immoral life, it is an honor. Whereas if a woman lives an immoral life, it is a shame. You know, so it's like living immoral as a man is, you know, you're, you're a good man. You're a real man. I mean, you have like, all the women are waiting for you. So it's an honor for you. And for a woman, it is a shame. You know, as a Christian, that does not apply to us. That's not what God wants. This is the will of God. Holiness, that we should live holy lives. And then finally, in verse 6, in this matter, no one should violate the rights of his brother or take advantage of him. Exactly that. Don't use your vessels taking advantage of your brother by sleeping with his wife. Stay away from those practices. Those are practices that were common among the Gentiles, but not so among Christians. Why is that? Why is God telling us not to do that? You know, sexual sin does not only affect two people. It affects the relationship with the community of believers, but also the relationship with God. One, one commentator said, uh, sexual sin was not simply about a sinful liaison between two people, not just between the two. They continued, their relationship with God and the community was also affected. The relationship between, with God and with the community of believers is also affected. So we have here three reasons why we should stay away from that. Number one is because the Lord is the offender in all these cases. As we also told you er earlier and warned you. God is an avenger. In other words, he will rectify the wrong done to the brother. As one dictionary gives the meaning of that word. He will rectify, he will respond to what happened. You remember when we talk about, uh, when we uh, study 2 Thessalonians 1, we said that God is going to repay those that were doing unjust uh, to his people, that he's going to repay them. Well, he's going to do the same as well. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 35, Deuteronomy 32, 35, we read, I will get revenge and pay them back at the time of their food slips. For the day of their disaster is near, and the impending judgment is rushing upon them. I like this quote from Warren Worsby. He said, A church member criticized her pastor 
because he was preaching against sin in the lives of Christians. And she said, after all, sin in the life of a believer is different from sin in the lives of unsaved people. Yes, replied the pastor, it is worse. Sin in the life of a believer is worse than in the life of an unbeliever. And keep in mind, God is an avenger. You know that he, things may not happen like exactly at the same time that we commit the sin, but the scripture is telling us, be aware, God is not sleeping. The second reason is, in verse 7, for God did not call us to impurity, but to holiness. God called us not to live a sinful life, an impure life, but he called us to live holy lives. And that's why we should stay away from sexual immorality. And then thirdly, consequently, the one who rejects this is not rejecting human authority, but God who gave his Holy Spirit to you. If we reject this by not recognizing the what God is telling us here, we are rejecting God. Someone who lives a life, an immoral life, a life of sin, is not rejecting human beings, but rejecting God, who gave us his Holy Spirit to dwell in us. It's not the immoral spirit. It is the Holy Spirit. God gave us a spirit in us who cannot dwell and live with sin. He gave us his Holy Spirit. You know, today we are facing exactly the same problem as the, uh, the people in Thessalonica faced. As far as sexual sin is concerned, it is as if Paul is writing for us today. Premarital sex, the LBGTQ, and they keep on adding. Pornography is a huge thing. You know, reading research that was done among pastors that are addicted to, to por pornography is terrible. And it's something that we really, really have to talk about as believers. And first and foremost, wrestle together with that issue. If some are struggling with it, it's good to open up and share with fellow brothers and sisters and try to find a solution for that problem. Because it's not only affecting your life, it destroys every all relationships with your family, your spouse, but even in the Christian community. God wants us to be holy. Let's live holy life. The exhortation to love. So he started with holiness and then moves on to love. Now here again, he would recognize the good things that were going on among the believers. In verse 9, the first part we read, now on the topic of brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you. Why? You guys have demonstrated that. You know what it means to love one another. 
And you know, one of the great things among God's people is to see that love in action. Even though it's not perfect, weakness, but yet demonstrating love to one another in practical ways. It is unique. And why was that? Why were the Thessalonians practicing that? They said that they were taught by God, Paul said in first, the second part of verse 9. For you yourself are taught by God to love one another. How did God uh, teach them that? I don't know. Is it because he first loved them? Oh, definitely. He loved us first. All love for our brothers and sisters is seen, uh, sorry, all love for God is seen in the way in which we love our brothers and sisters. So God taught them that. They experienced God's love in their, in their life in a special way. But God also worked in their heart so that they were able to love others as well. The second thing, they were practicing that towards others in verse 10. And indeed, you are practicing it toward all the brothers and sisters in all of Macedonia. I mean, look at that. They were like people loving brothers and sisters, not just in their own local church, but throughout that region. I don't know about you. I'm struggling to love everybody in my local church. Well, maybe you don't have that problem, but I do. And these people, Paul said, you were not just loving those among you, but like everybody. He prayed for that in chapter 3. And here he said, you know, I see that you guys are doing that. But actually that's not enough. The second part of verse 10 says, We urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. It was not enough. We cannot love our brothers and sisters enough. Wow. We cannot love them enough. I'll move on to the final section. And that is the exhortation to live a decent life. <coughs> Sorry. I, I, let me read verse 12 first, uh, where he said, In this way, you will live a decent life before outsider and not be in need. Or a life in a fitting manner you will live. So and why is he telling them that? How will they live a decent life? Now, he encouraged them to do three things. Number one was to aspire to lead a quiet life. Lead a quiet life. I won't spend a lot of time on this, but you know, the, the, the what is Paul talking about? And when you go into the, the commentaries, then you see different things. And often, you know, as you preach, often at least when I preach, I'll study them, but at the end, I'll preach what I think is true. And you may agree with me or disagree with me. Praise the Lord. You know. So let me give you a quote here from uh, Philo, uh, a Jewish writer, speaking about the quiet life. And he said, besides, the wordless man who live, uh, whose life is one long restlessness, Haunt marketplaces, theaters, law courts, council halls, assemblies, 
and every group and gathering of men. That's a worthless man. His tongue he lets loose for unmeasured, endless, indiscriminate talk, bringing chaos and confusion into everything. Mixing true with false, fit with unfit, public with private, holy with profane, sensible with absurd, because he has not been trained to that silence, the quiet life, which in season is most excellent. He said, if someone is not living the quiet life, this is what they are doing. You know, go about doing all kinds of things, jumping from one place to the other, mingling in people's business, talking about things that they have no clue about. And he said, that is not the quiet life. What God wants us to do is to live a quiet life where we focus on him. Don't give the outsiders a reason to criticize or speak bad about Christ whom we are following. Attend to your own business is the second thing. Even this one was another, an, an, another challenge. Some say that what he is talking about here refers to the public life of believers. And some would say it means stay away from the politics of this world. Live your own life quietly and do your own thing. And don't mingle with that. I'm not sure, I'm just putting it before you. In any case, what he wants is that we should not be doing things, even in our dealing with others, in such a way that it will cause or it will bring a shame on God's people or on us. Work with your hands. Work with your own hands so that you will move nothing from others. Live lives that bring glory to God, life of holiness. Continue to grow in your walk with the Lord. Continue to grow in, in love towards one another and continue to live a decent life as Christians, a life that brings glory and honor to God, a life that focuses on God. One person, one commentator said the following about this passage, Christians should work and conduct themselves in the community in such a way that they receive the respect and not the censure of the outsiders. They should be regarded as excellent members of the surrounding society with their conduct being a key element of their testimony. Our conduct being a key element of our testimony in the way we live our life among the people. Lessons for us today? I think it's exactly the same. For us to have this desire to grow. Looking at my life, if I were to reflect last year and this year, where am I? Did I grow spiritually? Did I grow in my desire to love God and please God more than anything in life? Looking at my life, is there this desire in my life to live holy life, life of holiness, even go against the culture that is so uh, 
immoral sexually, that I go against that. Living a holy life to please God. That I grow in my love for my brothers and sisters, first and foremost here, but also to others uh, in this community. And finally, am I growing in my working with my own hands, paying attention to my own business, living a decent life? Father, Paul prayed for the Thessalonians and he encouraged them to live lives that will bring honor and glory to your name. And we pray the same for us, for us today. That we also encourage one another to be those people that people will recognize, that all will see, that will say they are followers of Christ. They are living lives that bring honor and glory to Christ and that people will be they will have the desire to be like us in following Christ and Lord as I reflect on my own life I realize how I need you and we all need you and we just pray Lord that you will help us and work in our hearts and our life through your Holy Spirit to be people who want to please you in everything. To have this one passion, Lord. Be passionate about you. Be passionate about holiness. And be passionate about love. So we commit ourselves to you this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. And thank you for the water. <laughs>